You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 195, Shelves. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is December 11th, 2020, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about shelves. But before we start talking about shelves, I've got to figure out how to load my notes back in. I saved them on my brand new The C64 that I got this week, and I can't figure out how to retrieve them. So while I'm trying to figure that out, we'll have a few minutes to chat during this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you haven't been following what I've been doing online, I have been streaming gameplay on Twitch TV. That is twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. I planned a big stream earlier this week. I was going to stream, I did stream, Super Mario Brothers, the old hacked version of Great Guiana Sisters for the Commodore 64, and the new version of Super Mario Brothers that was released by Zero Page in 2019. And my goal of that stream was to get enough interest to get 50 followers and finally become a Twitch affiliate. Well, before that stream started, I was up to 56 followers, so it was more of a celebration than anything. Uh, I believe becoming a Twitch affiliate gives me the ability to get subscribers and people to donate things. And based on what I've seen of other people, my channel, they said I can expect to earn anywhere from five to $10 a decade. So, (laughs) you know, none of the streaming is about money for me. Uh, Getting the affiliate status was fun because it's a game. It's a game to see if you can meet all the, different challenges that they present, having uh, enough stream footage, enough followers, and they've really gamified that process, and so that was fun. But as far as making a penny off of it, it really doesn't... uh, That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I like playing old Commodore 64 games, and I really like when people show up to Twitch and talk to me while I'm streaming and give me feedback. And if you watch the Super Mario uh, stream, you will see also that some people heckle me for my poor... Super Mario gameplay. <laughs> so that was fun. Of course, all those Twitch videos get uploaded to YouTube. So if you want to see those, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming and then just look for the Sprite Castle playlist. I may have to split some of my videos. Some of those may go to the Amigos channel and maybe the non Commodore 64 ones may go to my YouTube channel. So if that happens, uh, I'll just add different links and you'll be able to follow those. But, uh, I think I'm kind of flooding their feed with videos. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to, um, split. I have to do so much streaming for Twitch to meet their, uh, limit or goals or whatever, but uh, I don't want to flood anybody else's videos off. So I don't know. I have to figure out something to do on that. I'll tell you something that I've had on my mind over the past few days, and that is this news story that Warner Brothers is going to release all of their movies simultaneously next year to video on demand as well as movie theaters. I guess that begins on Christmas Day with the release of Wonder Woman 1984, which will be released in theaters, but also direct to video on demand through, I believe HBO max is the streaming channel. First of all, there's too many streaming channels. I I understand what's going on, you know, and everybody wants to have their little piece of the pie of, uh, subscription rates and stuff. But if, if I'm paying as much for all the different subscriptions that I was paying for cable, I, I can't do both. You know, I can't pay for Netflix and Hulu 
and Disney and, you know, just on and on and on HBO. And, uh, so I'm not going to do that and keep cable. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that, but this is a really interesting, uh, topic for me. And I was looking through, first of all, I'm looking through the list of movies that Warner brothers said that they will be releasing next year. So wonder woman is just the first, uh, this is wonder woman two, the sequel to, the previous Wonder Woman. This is Wonder Woman 1984. But uh, some of the ones, the ones that jumped out at me, I wrote down that I thought I would probably go to the theater and see these movies. Godzilla versus Kong, the new Dune movie, the new Matrix movie, Matrix 4. There's a new Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, I guess this is a Mortal Kombat reboot that they are planning to launch uh, a whole franchise of new Mortal Kombat movies. And then there were a couple, like Suicide Squad, I would not go to the theater to see. I was, I'm just not a fan of the comic book movies. I saw that the sequel to Space Jam with LeBron James is on the list. And then there were a lot of movies that I wasn't familiar with that, that are probably great movies, but just aren't ones that I'm specifically looking forward to. You know, I'm torn on this. Uh, and... I thought a lot about this and I compared it to my memories of drive-ins. And the reason I thought about that is because I have great memories of going to the drive-in as a child. We used to go in my dad's blazer. The blazer was a 75 blazer that the whole top was a convertible, not just the back, but the part over the cab was all one piece. It all came off. And you could turn the back seat, the rear bench seat, turn it around backwards. So you could sit in the back of the blazer and face, you know, the, the drive-in screen. So you'd park backwards. And my parents would sit on the bench seat and watch movies. And my sister and I would lay in the, the, the rear end of the blazer was carpeted. We would lay there with big pillows. And I remember my sister and I walking to the uh, concession stand, you know, the concession bar or whatever, and, and going up and buying popcorn or a slice of pizza and a drink or, you know, taking an extra quarter or two because they had a pinball machine. They had a space invaders machine. I just have such great memories. Uh, And I remember the movies that I saw at the drive-in. I talked about this on a previous episode. I saw Tron at the drive-in. I saw Dragon Slayer, the movie at the drive-in. I saw Star Trek II, uh, the Wrath of Khan. So, I mean, these are movies that I specifically remember seeing at the drive-in. It just made this huge impression on me, you know. But we still have a drive-in that's open today, and I have gone to the drive-in. I went to the drive-in. I didn't go last year. I probably went two, maybe three years ago. And it was a muggy night. So I wanted to start my car, run the air conditioning and then roll up the windows, but then the car was fogging up, and and so I had to put the windows down. I couldn't uh, hear the movie. I had it cranked up on my radio, but the sound wasn't very good. There were other people that would turn on their lights. There were car alarms going off. There were constantly people walking around my car. It was not a good experience. And also, and I don't blame them for this, but my local drive-in theater does not allow outdoor or allow you to bring in food or drink. If you bring in your own food or drink, you have to pay a $20 fee and they check your car. I mean, I don't know how they don't, you know, rip up the carpet or whatever, but they look in your car when you come in and if they see food or drink, it's a $20 fee because they're trying to make money off of their concession sales. So I get it. But as a kid, that was, you know, we took our own thing of popcorn. We took our own candy or chips or cheese puffs or whatever. And so there's that discrepancy of the great memory that I have of drive-ins with when I go to the drive-in now, it's not that great experience. You know, the drive-in that's that I go to now is not necessarily on a great side of town. I've gone there and stayed for the late movie and not particularly felt safe there. So in a way, movie theaters have become the same thing to me. When I think about great experiences I had at movie theaters, 
they're mostly when I was young, maybe a teenager, maybe a young adult, going to the movies, buying popcorn, sitting there watching these movies. You know, I have these great memories. When I go to the movies now, every time I've gone to the movies in the past 10 years, I've left mad. Um, except for, I will say this, I did get to go to the Alamo Draft House in Denver, Colorado, or near Denver, wherever we were, uh, and that was a great experience. And we have a really nice theater here in town where you, you can pay extra money to sit up in a balcony where you can order food, and the tickets are expensive that uh, you know, it keeps the kids out. I think you have to be 21 to go. And that was an okay experience, but just going to a regular movie, uh, is terrible. There are people talking, there are people texting, there are people walking around. There are all these things that distract me and take me out of the experience. And so last year when I built the big workshop in my backyard, half of it is a movie theater. I put the biggest TV I could find on the wall. It's an 85-inch TV. I spent a few thousand dollars on audio equipment and surround sound speakers, and I put my home theater movie chairs out there. It's not a movie theater. I'll give you that, but it's pretty close. You crank up the music. You turn out the lights. It's a pretty great experience. And you know what I don't have? I don't have people sitting in front of me texting. I don't have people kicking my chair. I don't have people talking. If people are talking, I pause the movie and I tell them to get out of my house. <laughs> so I I don't like the idea of movies going to video on demand. Um, I, I And part of me doesn't because I want to have that movie experience. But what I'm afraid of is that what I want in a movie experience doesn't exist anymore. You know, people say, well, the Alamo Draft House kicks people out. Well, we don't have one in my town. Um, so, you know, do I miss the movie experience now or do I miss the movie experience that I had as a kid? I don't, it's hard to say. And I've built this movie experience that I have at my house now. So when Wonder Woman 1984 comes out on Christmas Day, I'll rent it on video on demand, I'll watch it in my movie room. And I'll have a great experience. So I hate to see that because I feel like um, movie theaters have, they cater so much to people that aren't interested in the movie. We used to have a, a dollar theater in my town that recently closed. I say recently, it's been three or four years. <clears throat> and um, they, people used it as a, a babysitting service. You know, they would take their kids, drop them off and then leave and you got all these kids running around the theater. It's terrible, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I, I kind of lament what I'm afraid is going to happen to movie theaters and maybe movie theaters will make a comeback and I hope they do, but uh, they just got to get a tighter rein because the people that really love movies, it's hard to go to them. It's hard to go there and enjoy it. So I don't know. I'm a little torn on this news and I'm really trying to process, you know, do I want to watch matrix four for the first time in my own home as opposed to in a theater. I mean, I don't know. That's a tough call because when I think of matrix four, when I see the word matrix, I think of matrix one and I try to block matrix two and three out of my mind. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, that's going to be a huge action, loud type movie, but I don't know. I've kind of built a home theater that does that too. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm torn on that news, but I, I just thought that was interesting. It almost feels like they're dumping an entire year's worth of movies, writing them off as a loss. So I guess we'll see what, what happens to the market. I guess we'll see how much money they make and how much they make on video on demand versus what they bring in at the theater. And it may be a change in uh, the way movies are released in the future. Uh, last episode of You Don't Know Flat was all about Crossroads Mall, and I saw one comment that said it was kind of a depressing episode, and it is a bit of a depressing episode. You know, I, I compared it to watching a loved one grow old and pass away. You know, there was nothing that I liked more than Crossroads Mall, and, uh, you know, just watching it slowly wither and, and turn into a shell of its former self and then eventually go away. That was uh, really kind of a bummer, you know. So um, I enjoyed doing the episode, 
And uh, I went down, I went on YouTube, and I found a bunch more videos. And there was one really good video I found where someone was walking through the mall, and they took video of every shop that was still open on the last day of the video. And I, I wrote them down. Uh, let's see. Starting at the very beginning, like towards the entrance, there was Alan Hudgens' Giant Cookie Emporium. Then there was Aunt Paige's headwear and footwear. Those seemed like things that would go together. There was Armadon Restall's purple coats with orange sleeves. I mean, mm, that seems oddly specific. Carrie Clanton's candy buffet. That sounds good. Chris Fold's outdoor treadmills, which I guess you could just run outside. Christopher Warren's human pretzel bar. That sounds weird. A Darren Fold's Canadian beer tasting hut. I would visit that. Dave Zilly's Vintage Electronics Repair. He knows his stuff. David Hearn's Cave of Books. Great author. Eric Stranisi's Free Pet Shop. They just gave away pets. It was t- very popular with the children, not popular uh, with the adults. There's Garrett Allier's Candles Without Wicks. And then that was next door to Gary Heather's Wicks. So I guess <laughs> you just bought the candle. You went next door and you got the wick. There was Graham Vebke's Music Lessons. That was popular. Jake Nonamaker's Pizza by the Slice by the Slice, which was kind of a weird thing. They took slices of pizza and then sliced those pizza uh, pieces into smaller slices. John Morrison's Luchador Wrestling Mass. That was very popular. Uh, John Schaller's Boat in a Bottle Store. Mark Alley's Education Station. All kinds of teaching supplies. Matt Nicholson's Toy Trains and Corn. I mean, that seems like a weird combination. Uh, Mike McLaughlin's Ice Creams and Dreams. Mitsuyama's Collectible Toy Shops. Now, that was an interesting place. They didn't sell collectible toys. They actually sold collectible toy shops that sold collectible toys. Uh, Mr. Bundy's Snacks and Smacks, which was uh, not popular at all. You got candy and then uh, punched. Olaf Hope's Bath Salts and Soaps. Patrick Markey's Back Alley Jerky and Other Questionable Meat Snacks. I can't imagine that was popular. Hermsky's Toy Models and Model Agency. Rick Reynolds' Holiday Cheer. Um, Rick Reynolds, by the way, hosts a uh, holiday special podcast you should check out. Roy Jacobs' Collectible Shot Glasses for Every State Except Utah. Again, that seems, uh, that's not nice. Scott Lambert's Vintage Arcade. Lots of arcade games there. Stephen Burt's Burgers, Shakes, and Flies. Oh, I thought that was fries. It's flies. Uh, Steve Rasmussen's shoddy card of fake phone chargers. Well, that's, nah, those things always break. Steve Sharippa's lenses for frenzies. Uh, Rydar and Christopher Bowe's all-you-can-eat breakfast bar. That was a great place to stop. Zeke Pabsky's keyboards and typing lessons. And then, of course, down at the very end of the mall was Cobra Kai's Dojo of Death. Um, not, not so popular. Uh, with the kids. Anyway, obviously those were not real shops that were in Crossroads Mall. Those are all my Patreon supporters. So I want to give a shout out to everybody that supports my shows on Patreon. If you want to go see what's going on on Patreon, the behind the scene posts and all the fun we're having, go check out patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. If you don't want to support the show on Patreon, you can always share links to the show on social media and like and review the show on iTunes. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodork or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. I just figured out the right combination of extensions to put on this file to load the notes from the C64. So I've got the notes here in front of me, and we will now get started talking about shelves. The first shelves I ever owned were built by my dad. They were on top of my toy box that he built for my bedroom when I was about a year old. They were blue. There were two giant drawers where I could put my toys. And then up above, there were three sets of shelves over that. And I never liked, as long as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, I never liked putting my toys in the bottom part of the toy box. I always wanted to put them up on the shelves so that I could see them. 
And that is something that I have carried with me through my entire life. I've never liked putting things away in storage. I don't like putting things in the closet. I don't like putting things, uh, not the things that I love. I don't like putting them in the attic or out in the garage. I like putting them in places where I can see them. I remember as a kid, I had a set of wooden bookshelves and I got these, I think it was either my parents, maybe my grandma got me a subscription. This was popular in the late seventies, early eighties, these subscriptions to the Hardy Boys books. And every month you would get another Hardy Boys book and I would fill the little shelf so I could see all the the books lined up. But uh, when I got tired of Looking at those books, you know, I'd pull those books and put them and I'd just put all my toys on those shelves. And so uh, that's really my earliest memory. I mean, as a kid was that I had shelves in my room. I had shelves over my toy box and I had this little wooden set of shelves. You know, it was a a bookcase probably that was a hand-me-down or something, but it had books on it. But I would put toys and things on that. And um, uh, so even as a little kid. I had shelves in my room. Now, I talked on previous episodes about Yukon software. Uh, my dad built these three sets of shelves that I think had six compartments, and it was double wide, so 12 compartments altogether, but it was six shelves high and uh, and a divider down the middle that he used for displaying software in his uh, my parents' computer store, Yukon Software. And when the store closed, we brought those three sets of shelves home. And I think one went in my sister's room and two of them went in my room. So I had them side by side in uh, my my room as a kid. This is a, our house had a unique layout. The living room is shaped like an octagon and my bedroom butted up against the living room. So my bedroom had five walls. Uh, it was kind of like a a big square, and then one of the sides was at a, an angle, like with the side cut out. So I had five walls in my room. And so on that slanted wall, I put these bookshelves that my dad had built. And then I got the desk. I inherited the desk that he had used at the computer store as well, but we didn't have a, a good hutch for it or anything. And so he eventually cut out one of the shelves so that the monitor would fit in there and cut off like the top part of the the shelves. And that became my hutch. We put it up on top of the desk. And so I use those forever. And I filled those things with books and manuals and computer discs. And the the other one that was in my room had uh, toys on it and, and all different kinds of stuff. But I never, like I said, I was never a fan of putting things. When I put things in the closet, I forget about them. It's like it's almost like um, I've talked about this before. I think the, the theory of object permanence, which is something that babies eventually develop. It's one of the stages of childhood development where you could take a baby and take an item and hide it behind your back and they don't look for it because they think it has disappeared from reality. They immediately forget about it and then you pull it back out. It's kind of where the game of peekaboo comes from. You know, you cover your face and they think you're gone and then you go peekaboo and then they go, oh, there you are. Uh, it, it's that lack of object permanence. And so I, for some reason, it seems like maybe I never developed that. When I put things in the closet, they're gone for good. I never go in my closet and look for things. I I just have to have them where I can see them, you know? And so uh, I just always wanted to have shelves, you know, as much uh, around me where I could see all my things, you know? I took those shelves with me, um when I moved out, I moved out into an apartment and I took those, uh, those shelves. I had them set up in the apartment. I also made some, uh, you know how people make cinder block shelves for entertainment centers. I had done that except for with stolen milk crates. (laughs) So I'd used milk crates and then pieces of wood and we'd put my TV and VCR and my Nintendo on this little makeshift uh, entertainment center that we had set up in the living room. Um, but I had those, those same shelves. I'd put them in my, my bedroom at the apartment and put stuff on there. Now around my freshman year of college, uh, I started collecting CDs. So this was 91, uh, 92. I really, I think I got my first CDs, maybe my senior year, like 90, 91, um, 
but uh, you know, around that time, ninety one, ninety two, there there was actually a, an event where my car got broken into, and I used to have one of those big um, seat or cassette briefcases and you remember it was like a briefcase and it held 30 cassettes three rows of 10 well i had one that was double-sided so it held 60 cassettes and i was still i'm starting to buy cds but i wasn't replacing my tapes with cds so if i had it on cassette i wouldn't buy it on cd like I bought, um, I think I bought Metallica's Black album on CD, but all the albums before that I had on cassette. Well, my car got broken into and someone stole all my cassettes. And so when that happened, I made the switch. I just started buying CDs. So I started buying all these CDs, but I didn't have any CD shelves or racks or anything to put them on, you know. And I mentioned this to my buddy Jeff. And he said, oh, well, we can make some shelves. And I was like, really? Like, I never made my own shelves. Not that I didn't know it couldn't be done, but I didn't, I had never done it. And I didn't think anybody I knew could do it. And so we went over to Jeff's garage at his parents' house. And they had a bunch of scrap pieces of wood that for some reason, I think they were all maybe two foot long, maybe three foot long, somewhere, you know, about that range. And so he grabbed some CDs out of his collection and I watched him do something that I have been duplicating for the past 30 years now. And I call these type of shelves spacer shelves. And this is why I do that. He took a piece of wood and laid it, you know, on the workbench. So it's sitting on the ground and then he took, a bunch of CDs and stood them up on the left side of the wood and stood some more up on the right side of the wood. And once he had those uh, in place, he took another piece of wood and laid it on top of those CDs. And then he took the two pieces that we were going to use for the sides of the shelves, scooted them on the end and screwed them into place. So when you take the CDs out, so this does two things. Number one, you know that the piece of wood that you've nailed on top of this uh, is level because it was sitting on the same amount of CDs, right? You had CDs that were stacked up and down, and then you put two sideways on top of that. So, I mean, the up and down ones, there were probably 10 or 15 CDs, and then you put one or two sideways and then put the piece of wood on top of that. So number one, you know that that next level of that shelf is even because CDs are all the same size, but by putting those two CDs in there sideways, you have given yourself on the shelf enough room where you can stack CDs and have just enough space to reach in there, put your finger, you know, you know that those CDs are going to fit on that shelf. And so he repeated that like three times. Once we had that layer of the shelf built, we moved all the CDs up one layer. We put another piece of wood on top of that, screwed that in, put the another piece on top of that, screwed that in. And then when we were done, he just cut off the the extra wood, you know, from the the side that was left over. And what we were left with was a set of shelves that was three shelves high. That was perfect for holding CDs. I have been using that technique to make shelves for 30 years. I have literally been doing that same thing. Uh, By the way, we painted those shelves. I think there were two or three colors. His mom used to make a lot of crafts and, um, the most paint she had, she had some different colors, but whatever she had the most of was this really light teal blue. (laughs) And so we painted the shelves teal blue. And those were my CD shelves for a long time until I got enough CDs that it filled the whole thing up. Uh, But, but those are my CD shelves. And so I call that the spacer method of making shelves. And again, I have used that so many times. Um, we, uh, I moved to the trailer. That's when I moved in with, uh, Susan, who was not my wife yet, but was going to become my wife. And, um, you know, I had had different kinds of shelves I had set up in my room and, and, um, you know, it's funny because I started getting to a point, um, not quite then yet, but every wall, like all four walls in that room had some set of shelves on them. Either they were bookshelves shelves for computer equipment, you know, whatever, maybe display shelves, but whatever it was, there were shelves on every wall. Now these were still 
standalone, you know, freestanding shelves that I had just got from garage sales or wherever and picked up and, and leaned up against the wall. Um, but that kind of became my motif. You know, uh, my wife used to say, you don't really like hanging pictures on the wall. And I do. I love hanging posters. But the vertical space that shelves give you to display things is so much better that I just end up filling the walls, you know, with the, with shelves, you know. So I guess I'll fast forward to the first house that my wife and I bought together, which was on a street called Heather Terrace. And we were on Heather Terrace, and I was, I may have mentioned this story before, but I was, uh, it was a three-bedroom house. So we had a master bedroom, and we didn't have kids yet. So the other two bedrooms, one, one was for me to put stuff in, one was for my wife to put stuff in. And I had a metal desk in there that I'd got from like a, garage sale or army surplus thing. It was like this metal desk that was L shaped and weighed 900 pounds, you know? And I was laying in bed one night, drifting off to sleep. And I had a dream. This is a hundred percent true. I had a dream of this desk that went floor to ceiling, wall to wall. It was a desk that had workspace that reached the whole length of the wall Above it, it had shelves that went all the way to the ceiling. I could put all my stuff, all my electronics, all my uh, computer stuff, everything, all in this one thing. And in the dream, that desk was called Mammoth Desk 2000. And so I woke up that twice in my life have I come up with not only a brilliant idea, <laughs> but the name of that brilliant idea. Another time we were trying to make a, a float idea for the 4th of July for the kids. They were doing floats. And I had a dream that we had built a robot costume for my son and it was painted red, white, and blue. And it looked like uncle Sam. And I woke up and I woke up my wife and I said, uncle Sam Tron 2000. And she said, what? <laughs> it just came to me in a dream. Uncle Sam Tron 2000. We built it. And it was a big hit. My kid was on the news and <laughs> news people came and uh, interviewed him about his costume. It was really fun. But the other time was Mammoth Desk 2000. And so, by the way, now it just dawned on me that they were both 2000. Maybe they only come to my dreams. And maybe after the year 2000, it stopped. I don't know. It was a gift and it went away. But I went to Home Depot and I found these, uh, I guess they're like, I don't know if they're bathroom countertops. They're curved in the front and they had kind of a, a small, you know, back like six inches tall backslash on the back or backsplash. And it was, I think it was like 14 foot wide or 12 foot, but whatever it was, it was slightly larger than this room. And so I bought it and it was like on the excess pile. Like it was leftover construction or something. It was really cheap. And I brought it home and I used it a hand saw or a circular saw and I chopped the end of it off so it fit perfectly and I put two by four braces on the wall and wedged it in between I mean it ran the whole length of the wall and then I just started building shelves like crazy over it. I mean and it looked like a madman it looked like if you gave a 10 year old a bunch of wood and hammer and nails and just said go for it <laughs> there was no real plan it was just me hammering two by fours and slots of wood and stuff i mean it looked terrible and when i was done i was so proud i was like it's mammoth desk 2000 and it was i mean it did not look good and i learned one thing on that project i learned many things on that project to be honest but one thing i learned is that if you're going to build shelves and you want to paint them, I mean, if you're going to nail it to the wall and do all that, you got to paint it first. You know, it's too it's too hard to get on a ladder and stain all this wood and stuff. I should have painted all that wood. It, it was just like raw wood color, you know. And uh, when we moved out of that house, I took all that stuff down and we did the home inspection. And the inspector found termites because when I done all that sawing and stuff. I hadn't cleaned it up and the, the sawdust or the, whatever had attracted termites. <laughs> so not a, it was, uh, it was mammoth desk 2000 and termites. Uh, but the, the cool thing was 
I mean, the shelves didn't look good necessarily, but I realized like, you know, you didn't have to pay hundreds of dollars for shelves. You could just go buy some wood and come up with a plan, just get some graph paper and, and a tape measure and figure out what you wanted, you know, and, and just make your own little shelves, you know. And so that really came into place at my next house at Greg Court. Now, Greg Court was a one-story house. There were four bedrooms downstairs, and upstairs was one big bonus room, which became the man cave. And so when you went upstairs, uh, at the top of the stairs was a a half-height wall. I mean, it was like three foot tall, maybe, um, somewhere between three and four foot tall, and uh, it served no purpose. It was just this divider that was at the top of the stairs. And I thought it would be really cool to use that as some sort of storage. And so uh, it was exactly eight foot long. And I went to the store and I bought a bunch of uh, eight foot long pieces of wood. I think they were six inches deep, something like that. And um, they were perfect. The shelves, I mean, the depth of the wood was perfect for CDs. And so I used that spacer method that I talked about like that I had built those little CD shells before. And I was smart. I painted all the wood black before I ever got started. And I laid this eight foot piece of shelf, you know, piece of wood on the floor. And I, uh, you know, put some CDs and this and that. And then I put the next piece of shelf and then I just screwed the ends on. And then I just repeated it, repeated it. And then I, I knew what height I wanted to make it, you know, cause it was the same height as the wall. And I went and got, some of those little metal, I think they're four inch metal brackets, like L brackets. And I found the studs in the wall. I used a little stud finder and I found those and then, uh, and then little shallow screws. And I screwed it to the underside of the, uh, the shelves. And that was it. Of course, with the CDs on, you never saw the, uh, the brackets anyway. Now I did learn one thing on building these shelves, which, was if you don't get thick enough wood, the wood is going to bend. And by the time I got those shelves in place, it was already starting to sag in the middle <laughs> because they were eight foot long pieces of wood and they it just wasn't that thick. It was like half inch wood or something. Uh, and so I had to go get some more of those little L brackets and, and screw them in place in the middle of those shelves and stuff. But once I did that, it was fine. And I had like a thousand CDs at that time and, um, a little over a thousand. I, I just been, you know, I was crazy about collecting CDs and they all fit. It fit on this whole wall. There were like five rows top to bottom and it was eight foot wide and it was beautiful. I loved it where any CD I made, you know, of course, everything had to be alphabetical order and I would just go over there. It was so cool. I loved, I really loved those shelves. But that was kind of what I was moving into was building shelves that were the right size and shape for whatever I wanted to put on the shelves. You know, I was kind of moving into this stage of custom shelves. And at that same house, I also uh, built these shelves for my DVDs. Now, uh, when you, at the, the bottom of the stairs, there was an opening and you could see it from the living room. And I did the exact same thing. I got some pieces of wood. I painted them white and uh, I put DVDs on them. And so I made these DVD shelves that were um, four shelves tall. And I want to say it was, I think it would hold about 75 DVDs per shelf. And I was like, well, I'll never get more DVDs than that. Spoiler. I did. Uh, but I did something new on these shelves. So it was like every time uh, that I would build something, I would add, you know, something else. And I went to, again, Home Depot. And and by the way, I always say Home Depot. I, Home Depot could mean Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, it's where I live now. Home Depot is five miles away and Lowe's is 10 miles away. So I always go to Home Depot now. But I really don't have a preference between the two, to be honest. Uh, so anyway, I went to Home Depot and I found trim, really, you know, like half inch wide trim. And I used a little handsaw and I cut it at 45 degree angles. And I used a little tiny, um, like little tiny finishing nails and some wood glue. 
and I tapped them all into place and I made a little border on the front and they look like shelves you would buy. Like I, I hadn't done that before. You know, I mean, everything I had done so far, looked like, you know, wood that had been, first it looked like wood I nailed together. Then it looked like wood I had painted and nailed together. But this actually looked like, you know, it looked decent. And um, it was like the first thing we had that didn't look embarrassing, you know? <laughs> and so, and because I was going to be able to see it from my living room and I wanted it to look nice, you know? So, um, so yeah, we had, um, I had those shelves and um, I think that's all I had at that house. But really things started coming into uh, at the next house. So at the next house, um, first of all, we had a three car garage and we've never parked our cars inside the garage. My wife would like to, and she can now finally at our new house, but we never could because I always had so much stuff out in the garage that there was no place, um, you know, to put our stuff. And so I started buying these Rubbermaid storage tubs. These, um, I think the first ones were like 20 something gallons. And then I bought some that were 30 gallons and I put extra Star Wars stuff in them. I put clothes that didn't fit anymore, you know, just Halloween decorations, all that kind of stuff. I started putting in these rubber tubs and I needed a system to put them on the wall. And so I started building these shelves that were, I used each, each, um, layer of the shelf. It's hard to explain because they were kind of module. Uh, but I built these bottom, the bottom piece of each shelf took two, two by fours and I cut them into pieces, uh, two by fours, eight foot tall or eight foot long. And I cut them into pieces that were, uh, two, three foot pieces of one, two foot, that's eight foot total. And I would do that to two. And I assembled them in this way where I ended up with this rectangle that was three foot wide and two foot deep. And then there were two foot braces in the middle as well. And then I used a two by four, you know, up and down, for support. And the other side, I screwed into the wall of the garage, into the studs that were behind the drywall. And then I just kept, so I used that spacer technique. I put those tubs and then I put like two or three VHS tapes is what I used just to give enough clearance for the tub to scoot in and out. And then I built the next one and I put it on top of that. And the great thing about this system was I didn't have to build them all at one time. Every weekend, I would just go get a few more two by fours and just add some more and move up, move up, move up. And then once, you know, I had four layers high or something, I just added another two by four on the end and I'd start making more. So I ended up with like four rows of these that were four high and they were perfect, the perfect size for storing these Rubbermaid tubs. And it was so, it was like a, a garage organizational system. It was so cool. I really uh, enjoyed that. So that was um, one of the things I did, this is the Sundance house. I also, this is the house that had so many bedrooms that we didn't know what to do. And so upstairs I had a room that kind of became my star Wars room. And that room ended up by the time we moved out was shelves from floor to ceiling all the way around. The problem is they were all mismatched. I had these brown three sets of brown shelves that were made to hold CDs uh, that I was using for Star Wars figures. And then I had this giant black set of shelves that was really for DVDs that I had put toys on. And I started buying those types of shelves. Um, I call them rack and bracket, but they're, they have the uh, racks, you know, that screw into the wall that have the little slots in them and then the little metal brackets and you put a piece of wood across the brackets. But I had some of those holding toys. I had every kind of shelf you could imagine. I had them all over the place in there. So it just kind of looked like a, a mix match of different types of shelves. I don't think it looked very good. And also I had brown shelves, black shelves, and white shelves. So it really didn't have a very cohesive look, but you know, I was still, still kind of learning, you know, about all this. And so, um, I started getting an interest in other people's shelves and displays, you know, because I didn't like the way that mine looked. And I was a member of this forum called digital press, which was filled with a lot of, uh, different collectors, video game collectors. And they had an area that was called the room of doom. 
and where people would show off what their rooms looked like. And um, some of them, you know, looked like big jumbled messes of stuff, but some were great, you know. And I started reaching out to some of these people and saying, you know, how did you do this? How did you build that? Um, you know, just kind of getting interest. Where did you buy those shelves or how did you build those shelves? That sort of thing. And I started getting this idea that it would be interesting to build a website around shelves. It was originally going to be about the way that people display their collections, but then it kind of expanded into all kinds of shelves, like functional shelves, garage shelves, you know, things like that. So I wanted to build a website that was dedicated to all this stuff. And I have said this before, I don't know why, but every now and then I'd have these moments of brilliance where an idea, you know, I'm working on an idea and the perfect name pops into it. And and this was all about my love of shelves. And I came up with the name Love Thy Shelf. So Love Thy Shelf was a website that I set up that was going to be basically where I profess my love to shelves, which sounds very weird. And again, there is a difference between enjoying what's on the shelves. Like everybody puts things on shelves that they enjoy, but I, and I did enjoy that, but I also enjoyed the aesthetic of the actual shelves. Like, like how did the shelf look? Did it match the room? Was it, you know, whatever. Um, and I don't think that, I mean, some people don't care about that and some do, um, but I was, I was really into that, you know? And so I started, um, love thy shelf. Like I, I was like, I'm going all in on this project. Like I went and I registered a Twitter account, love thy shelf. I registered a Gmail account. Uh, you know, I got all the branding and then I set up this website and I started interviewing people. I would find people that had cool shelf displays and I would, you know, get them to send me pictures and, and how did they set up their display and stuff like that. And I started, you know, doing these posts and stuff. Well, then I started seeing other people's websites that were doing similar things, but not for shelves, right? Just like content every day and that kind of stuff. So I, but I ran out of people to talk to. So I started going online, like using Google and, um, finding pictures of shelves and posting them almost like news articles, you know, like, Hey, here's a fun idea. If you have milk crates, you can make these kind of shelves or whatever, you know, just little things like that. And then I got this idea that I was going to turn this into like some sort of money-making, uh, <laughs> venture, you know, like I, I set up Amazon affiliate links, uh, to books on Amazon about storage and building shelves and things like that. Um, and this became like, I was visiting 10 to 20 websites a week. Like I had all these websites bookmarked that were talking about storage and I would scan all these and look for articles. And then I would, you know, basically take their picture, post it, write a little summary of it, and then add a link to their website. So I wasn't stealing their content, but I would write, you know, a thing about what they had written about like summarize it and then add a link to their thing. Now, what I didn't realize is that the websites that do that now are completely automated. There's not somebody typing in a hundred articles a day. They're all just getting other people's RSS feeds and, and doing this, you know, but I I didn't understand that. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier while I was putting together my notes. And um, when I was in fifth, maybe sixth grade, I was really into animatronics and robots and things like that. And we did a a project for class and I built basically a fake robot. I built it out of cardboard boxes and I wrapped it with wrapping paper, yellow paper. And I I put these, um, I actually used racetrack, like Hot Wheels racetrack pieces for the arms and I rubber banded gloves to the end of it. So it looked like he had hands and I think I put some Christmas light bulbs in his face so that it lit up and stuff, but it didn't do anything. It wasn't really a robot. It was just this hollow thing that looked like a robot, but it wasn't a robot, you know? And I feel like a kid, like you stared at it and you're like, okay, do robot stuff. And it's not going to inside. It, it was just 
cardboard and, and tape and junk. You know, it wasn't a robot. It just looked like a robot on the outside. And so my website, Love Thy Shelf, looked like those other websites from the outside. But I didn't know how to build a robot. I didn't know how to build the inside of this website. I didn't know how to get affiliate links and automated posts and all that. So I was doing all that stuff manually. I was visiting all these websites manually and writing posts. And I would go look every day and look at my Google Analytics. And I was getting two hits a day or one hit a day or no hits a day. It just nobody was interested in it. And when I say nobody, there's one person that was interested in it, Kate Track, who is a friend of mine that I met on Digital Press and is the only reason I'm doing this episode. <laughs> because Kate Track always says, hey, I love this article. Hey, I love these shelves. To this day, he says, oh, you should do a website about shelves. Well, I did a website about shelves and nobody liked it except one person. <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't have time in my life to do big giant projects for one person. So that's what happened to Love Thy Shelf. Actually, something else happened to Love Thy Shelf, which is I started looking for these feeds and all of a sudden there was a new website that started popping up called Pinterest. And it would say, hey, here's someone's collection of shelves. And I would go there and they would be pinning all these pictures of shelves, which of course I could follow that rabbit hole and I could go to wherever their source was and read the article and, and do that, you know. But it kind of dawned on me that everything I was trying to do could be done on Pinterest for a lot simpler, you know. I set up a Pinterest account. Uh, I don't ever use it and I don't even remember if it's... Um, like, I don't even know why I'm plugging this because there's nothing. Let's go see here. I'm typing Pinterest.com. Uh, I'm going to my home feed here. I'm doing this live, live on the show. This is exciting. Uh, it doesn't really show me if it's uh, forward slash Rob O'Hara, forward slash Commodore. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, there's no point in finding me uh, on on Pinterest because there's nothing that interesting there. Um, but uh, my point is is that I was building this entire website to basically, I mean, in the big picture, what I was doing was bookmarking links to shelves that I loved. And um, it is uh, forward slash Rob O'Hara, by the way. It's Pinterest.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Um, but it was, you know, basically what I was building was bookmarks to shelves, at which now you could go do with a button. You could go click on any of these articles that I found and just save them on Pinterest. And that was it. It was so much easier. And, uh, you know, there was only one person that missed the website when it was gone. <laughs> so Kate Drack, go find my Pinterest and you can see the shelves that I bookmarked. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I ran the website, I think for two years and it never got traction. I tried to plug it. I tried to advertise it on Twitter. I tried to do all these things. And I just found out that, you know, I guess other people just weren't that interested in the aesthetics of shelves and display things uh, as I was. So now that kind of brings me to my current house and uh, my current house is a new house. It was a new house. We bought it two years ago and I guess the current style and, and maybe we're on the tail end of this is that all the walls are light gray and all the woodwork is white. The whole house looks like that and we've updated some parts of the house uh, so that they don't look like that. But my office looks exactly like that. The walls are gray and the woodwork is white. And I was thinking for a long time that I was going to build a big wall of shelves uh, on the, the wall where the door is, where you come in. And I was looking for ideas and I found the Billy display shelves from Ikea. And I know that back in the uh, collecting days, 
the video game collecting days that some of my friends had um, Billy bookcases. And I always liked the way that they looked. And the more I looked at these, I thought, you know what? I'm never going to be able to build something that looks uh, as smooth and, you know, as good as these shelves look. So uh, I decided to just buy three of these bookshelves. And I bought the extender, which adds another shelf on top. So I think they are 84 inches tall with the extender. Um, now, buying shelves from Ikea is a hassle for me. I live in Oklahoma, and the nearest Ikea is over three hours away. So we made a day trip out of it. My wife and I drove to Ikea. She had some desk uh, things that she wanted to buy. I wanted to buy these bookcases, and so we drove to Ikea. Uh, it was a, a whole day trip. We ate Swedish meatballs. We had a good day and we came home and we put together all these shelves. I'm looking at them right now and they are filled floor to ceiling with random things. They don't really look the way that I want them to look. The, the shelves do, but the stuff I put on them is kind of haphazard right now. It's not really, um, they're more functional than they are uh, display, but uh, so that's one wall in my home office. Now, on the wall straight ahead of me, right behind my computer, I have four shelves that are the uh, rack and bracket type shelves. So they've got uh, the racks that go up on the wall and then the white bracket. So all the all the shelves in this whole room are white uh, to go with, with the woodwork. I have a couple of sets of white, uh, those cheap, I think that's solder, 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 uh, bookshelves. I have a couple of those in here. And then about a month ago, I was out in the garage. I was emptying some boxes and I ran across a box full of my old vintage lunch boxes. Now at my last house, I had this area set up where I had all the vintage lunch boxes that I have collected over the years on display. But at this house, I haven't had any shelves set up. I didn't have any place to, to put those, uh, up and so up above those Billy bookcases that I have, there was um, about three feet of space, I think, before the ceiling, uh, maybe a little less. And so I measured a lunchbox, and I think it was like seven and a half inches tall or whatever. And so I went out to my workshop and I cut a few two by fours that were all exactly eight inches long. And so then I went to Home Depot. I was actually going to buy some of that white uh, laminate wood, but they didn't have the sizes and enough of the pieces that I needed. So I just bought some uh, pieces of wood that was, um, they're, I think, four inches, either four or six inches wide. Uh, and they are eight foot long. And I, I cut them up. That, that wall is uh, 15, just over 15 foot long. And so... I took the first piece of wood, I laid it all the way across the top of those Billy shelves, and then they stick out, um, oh, I'm looking at them now, about four foot off either end of those shelves, uh, and um, used some of those L brackets and screwed those up to studs that were in the wall, and of course I painted all that wood white before I ever started this, and then when I was done, I used those little two-by-fours for spacers, and I put the next set of... Uh, Shelves on top of that, and I screwed those into the wall and pulled the spacers out and then moved those up and uh, did the third set. So I have uh, three sets of shelves that run all the way on the 15-foot wall, and I'm actually looking at those, and I'm trying to count how many lunchboxes go across here. One, two. It's not, they're not straight lunchboxes, though, because on a lot of them I have uh, the thermoses in between them. And just looking at the... The bottom row here, there's uh, Ronald McDonald, there's Gremlins, Pac-Man, Jungle Book, uh, there's some Sesame Street ones, there's Fozzie Bear, there's uh, all my Star Wars ones, Strawberry Shortcake, which is one that my sister had, and there's Annie, which is another one <laughs> my sister had, uh, Heathcliff. So I have all my vintage lunchboxes, and the great thing is, is that, I mean, these shelves start... Um, a foot above the door jam. I mean, so they are way up in the air. They're out of the way, but they are directly to my right. So when I turn to my right and look, I could see the entire collection. I'm really the only person that sees it. I'm the only person that comes in here in my office. And when I turn and I look at them every single time, 
They make me smile. I love looking at them. Uh, they just make me so happy. So many of them are ones that either I had as a kid, ones I remember having, ones that I remember my friends having, or they're just different franchises. You know, there's a Chuck E. Cheese one. There's a, um, gosh, there's just, there's a fall guy. There's just all these things that make me smile when I see them, you know? And so, you know, this really goes back. I mean, I've had these lunchboxes in storage for two years out in my garage since we moved. I haven't thought about them once. Not once have they made me smile. Not once have I went out there and opened a box to look at them. I mean, for me, when it's out of sight, it's out of mind. But now that they're here in the room, I look at them all the time. You know, I sit here and I look up and I smile or whatever. And that is just the way that I'm wired. I have to have the things that I like out where I could see them, you know. And so that's uh, um, really the thing that I, that I like about shelves, you know, is that it allows you to put stuff out where it's easy to get to. It's easy to see. It's easy to show off. And I think this is the first room where I've had kind of a, a cohesive look, you know, all the white woodwork goes with all the gray walls. Um, the desktops that I have in here also came from Ikea. They're all white with the uh, black legs and, uh, um, you know, it, it all kind of goes together and it, uh, in a way, this is the first room I've had where the shelves kind of disappear almost, uh, where you see the stuff before you see, you know, all the different colors of shelves or whatever. I tried to nail together at my best attempt at a 90 degree angle. <laughs> so, um, I'll say this. Um, when I had my workshop built, you know, I have a lot of tools. I have, all these different things that should allow me to make great looking woodworking projects. Uh, I should be able to, you know, I mean, I have saws and hammers and screws and drills and levels and, and sanders and everything that you would really need. But the stuff that I make just doesn't look great. You know, it's never quite lines up. The, the cuts are never quite straight. Um, there's always just some imperfection that drives me crazy. And of course, you know, when you're spending that amount on wood and tools and stuff, you want it to look as good as the stuff you would buy at a store, you know? And, uh, I was really hoping, you know, we got, my building was finished in April of 2020. And so I was really hoping that by the time it was done, that I would be able to, go sign up and take some woodworking lessons and really like that would be the the final step for me, you know, would be to be able to, to learn the best way to do those things and, and really make custom shelves and make, you know, do custom woodworking projects and stuff. And uh, unfortunately, as we all know, 2020 is not the year for that. You know, Home Depot hasn't been, they normally have, uh, uh, woodworking uh, classes and stuff, but our Home Depot hasn't been offering that. In fact, uh, our uh, local Votech shut down part of their their evening program, so I haven't been able to do that. So it's all just kind of been put on hold. So maybe next year uh, things will will look different, and I'll be able to to take some classes and stuff because that would be the the ideal thing for me is to build the custom shelves, but where they go in custom places you know, and to really make those cool displays. I want to be able to do stuff with LED lighting. I want to be able to do stuff uh, to take up, you know, dead space in corners. I want to be able to do those things uh, with the stuff that I own. And, and my skill level just isn't there yet, but maybe, maybe someday. But hopefully someday I will take those classes. I will get those skills. I have the tools and that will be... Uh, uh, a happy day. But um, as far as the website and all that stuff, I have to say that, uh, well, the nail is in that shelf. <laughs> it's a pretty bad pun for just making up for it. That is all I have to say about 
building shelves and building displays. Uh, if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. Don't forget to go check out patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And if you'd like, you can always share links to the show on social media or like and review the show on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of You Don't Know Flap, and I will be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>